0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: So we have the pleasure to be joined by Christy Hendricks, the wife of Liam Hendricks. And and look, Christy, uh, first of all, we have very much enjoyed watching your husband pitch and uh, we're glad to meet you finally virtually as well
2: yeah thanks for having me um liam is his own character that's for sure i think he's a pretty great fit for the white Sox. to be honest we love being here um and i'm glad everybody's embracing the crazy because when you see him out there compared to being at home he's a completely different person
1: you have some wonderful stuff coming up and i want to get to that in a moment but uh first when did you learn to embrace the crazy
2: Well, you know, we started as friends. So we've been together for about 11 years. So we started as friends first and he was always on his absolute best behavior. I mean, when you literally think of how, you know, a mom raised him for a future wife, like that's exactly how he was. And then as I got to know him and then I would see, I always call it white line fever. Like as soon as he jumps over that white line, he's a completely different person. And then I was like, oh, this is very different than how he treats me at home. And I love it because, you know, like as a former athlete myself, I just like embrace kind of the crazy. And I feel like if you don't love your job that much, then you shouldn't be there. So um, it kind of came out about the second year we were dating, I think, but it really came out when he was in the bullpen. It, It was just a complete change.
3: What was it like uh, for you to go through the designated for assignment moments and not knowing where where Liam was going to be and whether his big league career would continue? Uh, I know players have to rely very heavily on the people closest to them to help get them through those moments.
2: Yeah, I think the first time we were very naive to it. Um, it had never happened before. Liam still had one option left, so we were a little relaxed and relieved. I mean, it's, it's never great to technically be fired from your job essentially, but we were like, okay, we have more of a chance to be picked up because we have an option. They could send him down at this point. Liam was still a starter. So we were kind of looking at that as, well, maybe he'll start, maybe he'll be a swing guy. Maybe he'll move to the bullpen. We were unsure, but then like the second, third, fourth, and fifth times, it was like out the window, um, especially the most recent time with, it, with the A's in 2018, we really had to take a moment and decide, okay, are we going to take this assignment in Nashville and go there and earn the contract that you were given in arbitration, or were we going to kind of take a shot at it? And it didn't take us but maybe 20 minutes to realize, well, we, we're going to take this contract and we're going to go down and make the best of it in Nashville. And we're going to try to reinvent the passion that he somehow lost along the way and honestly, out of all of the DFAs, I think that was the best one. We we became like in love with the game again. We got to know ourselves in the game of baseball. And we realized how much that if you took baseball away, like Liam's life would be very, very different. And not just from like a financial or you know competitive standpoint of just like, that's the core of who he is. And so we decided that we were going to go ahead and just go for it. And hopefully we were called back up and luckily we were, and the rest is kind of, you know, I would say A's in White Sox history. Yeah.
1: So uh, June is is Pride Month and you and Liam are supporting Center on Halstead. June 25th, uh, a lunch and happy hour. 70 plus staff are coming back, some new employees. Uh, if people don't know, Center on Halstead is the Midwest's largest center for the health and well-being of the LGBTQ community. And so my question to you is, uh, why is Pride Month so important to you and your heart and Liam's? And what does it mean for you to be involved with the LBGTQ community?
2: Well, growing up, um, I was very blessed to have an uncle who is gay and married. And it's just always been a part of my life. You know, I always we grew up with this sentiment in our home is all for love and love for all. And I just feel like while Pride Month is wonderful and encouraging, we really need to take that moment and say, hey, this is, this is real life. Like love who you wanna love, be who you wanna be. We're so supportive of that. I think throughout Liam's career, we've had so much support. What are ways we can support other people? And this is one of the biggest ones.
3: Christy, how important was uh, the community part of this move to Chicago uh, for, for both of you and how that kind of played into choosing uh, where you wanted to, to live and play?
2: Yeah, so we had Zoom calls with multiple teams and it was one of our main questions is how can we really plug ourselves into the community? How can we, you know, just make the community a better place because at the end of the day, baseball is wonderful. We wanna win a World Series every year, that's huge for us, but we also want to make a difference while we're there. And the White Sox, I mean, the organization's just a perfect fit for us. There's so many little niches within the community of Chicago that we can kind of just insert ourselves into. And they were wonderful. They walked us through everything. Their community liaison is fantastic. She has been so helpful and encouraging this whole time. And when we decided that we were going to feed the front lines, essentially, in spring training, they were so easy to work with. And we got to know the community on such a different level. It was absolutely amazing to just say, let's continue it throughout the whole season. And with Pride Month coming up, what a better place to do it.
1: What does Pride Month uh, mean to both of you, and, and what can we do to make the baseball community more understanding of the LGBTQ community?
2: I just believe that everyone has to have an awareness of acceptance, and I feel like if you can just understand that people just want to absolutely live their best lives true to themselves, our world would be so much happier, and I just feel like if I can choose to love who I want to love, why, why can't you?
1: it's a beautiful sentiment. There's, there's your husband.
2: <laughs> Hi.
1: <laughs> Hi Liam.
4: How are we doing guys?
1: Tremendous. How doing? How's We're Houston for you?
4: I mean, it's hot, but it's not too bad. Apparently, according to everybody in Chicago, it's hotter in Chicago than it is usually right now. So.
3: <laughs> nice. Uh, Christy, while we still have you, and before we do our, our formal interview with Liam, uh, I know we're going to forget something to ask him. So what would be the one thing that everybody always forgets to ask him that you want people to ask your husband?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. Um...
3: Oh, God. Is this PG rated right? <laughs> Hey, she show. said, I'm the one who's going to throw him under the bus. So we're yeah, no, right I now.
2: feel like she's a lot driving of, the bus. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably driving it. Um, <laughs> no, I feel like everyone always asks about our pets and what we do in the community. But I think a lot of times people forget to ask, like, where his heart is in the moment of, like, the team, the core right now. Because at the end of the day, he's the one that's going to come in and get the final three outs. And I feel like that is a really big burden, and blessing to carry at the same time. And I think that that it just isn't really talked about a lot. So, okay. We'll, and we'll that's not like a, them. you know, I mean, you could ask them all kinds of other random funny questions, but I think that would be a good one.
4: <laughs> hey, give me the any, question I have uh, to think uh, about. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: there
3: any, any pets in the area
2: here that we uh, can yes, see? Saoirse, come here. Come here. Yeah, here's Sersha. Come here. Come here. Oh, she won't. Oh, here she is. Hi. Oh, oh my gosh. He... Yeah. She's my big Beautiful. girl. We have a cat, but if I try to grab her, she'll run away. So
3: <laughs> okay, tell us tell us about her. How old is she? Where you where'd you She get her? is
2: three years old. She came from a training program in called Priority One Canine out of um like Columbus, Ohio. She's pretty cool. I mean, she's derpy as all get out, and she's really great, but you know, her bark can be intimidating and the it look is. of her, obviously, too. So Oh,
4: she gives me not. some, some, uh, peace of mind.
2: Yeah. She, she gives well. Liam some peace of mind and she also side eyes him at all time. She is not his biggest fan. Yeah. She does
4: not <laughs> like me.
1: It's very disappointing. Amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Well, That's Christy, awesome. thank you so much for doing this. We re- we really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having stuff. me. It's
2: great to see you guys in person. I mean, it, you know, yeah <laughs> but anyways yeah harass him have a good time <laughs>
3: <laughs> we love it have a good time we thank we you guys that. and today we're going to chat with the most interesting player in baseball <laughs> the white sox <laughs> Don't tell Tim Anderson <laughs> <laughs> liam hendricks liam thanks for joining us today it has been such a pleasure and a joy to watch you pitch and It's been a pleasure and a joy to listen to your Zoom calls with the media, and it's going to be a pleasure to get to know you a little better today. Uh, how are you enjoying yourself? It, it, it sure seems like you love what you do.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, if I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it. I mean, you do look at a lot of players. I mean, um, there's not too many guys that don't like the game that tend to be kind of at the, the peak of their abilities. It's, you, you just don't get that kind of, um, you kind of, you don't, it doesn't get to a spearhead if you don't enjoy what you don't
3: So when this runs, it's probably going to be a couple of weeks after we record it. So we'll keep it, uh, uh pretty general here, but, uh, watching you work, it's, and Jason, I, I, you know, sometimes it's hard to put into words when you're watching a guy, but I can't take my eyes off you. And it, 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 between pitches, um, obviously your stuff is electric, but I just, I don't know if you understand how other people see you. And when you watch yourself, do you see yourself? Do you not like watching highlights of yourself? Do you care what other people kind of envision when they, when they think, oh, he's got to be an absolute crazy person and you admit that you are on the mound, but you're not off the mound do, do you contemplate that that kind of stuff
4: well i think it's different types of crazy but i watch so i watch every broadcast from both sides every game so uh, like if i pitch even the good games and bad games like whatever it is i'll watch both sides whether uh, so i watch the home side and then i'll watch um whichever wherever we are so here obviously uh you, you'll listen to some things and i pick up some tidbits from from visiting broadcasts before that i've been able to incorporate into the game a little bit and i always makes me chuckle when they say oh, okay he he relies heavily on a two seam fastball, which I haven't thrown once since uh, early May of 2019. So um, that's always fun just hearing that. But no, it, it's different types of crazy. I mean, I like watching certain things, and that, not necessarily highlights. I think that's a little bit um, a little bit facetious. But uh, like, I like watching certain things. I like seeing the way a hitter gets into the box, whether it be from the broadcast or anything like that. I would like the way my demeanor can change between at bats, which that's something that I can pick up on it and improve for the next time. But yeah, I mean I don't like there's plenty of guys in the league that have good stuff or a high riding fastball or a good breaking ball or anything like that. But I think they're really the bit that I really work hard on and has been a focus of mine recently has been the mental and kind of the mental and yeah, emotional side of the man, like being on the mound where it's I I that's how I'm gonna win. That's how I'm gonna beat you. It's not gonna be pure stuff, it's not gonna be pure anything like that to be straight concentrated power of will and the fact that I'm going onto the mound every day knowing that I'm better than
3: everybody out there. So in other words, my question was right on the button that that stuff does matter because <laughs> it yeah. sure seems like yeah. it when we watch. Yeah. Yeah, what? yeah there's, what a re- there's, of- a, there's
4: a reason for me yelling around and running around and slapping <laughs> myself and, and yelling at Tim at shortstop. And there's, there's a reason for all that. It's not just complete eyewash or doing it or anything like that. It's me getting, trying to get back in the zone because I do struggle a lot with complacency. And there'll be certain times where, like, it's a three-run game. I'm facing seven, eight, nine, and all of a sudden, I am getting a little bit out of my own mechanism on the mound, and I need to make sure that I lock it back in because anything can happen in this game. It's 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 the great thing about this game, where it's you have a hero's first career home run, was a, a game tying home in Daz Cameron, and that's just how this game goes. I threw the exact same pitch the next day or two days later, and and was able to get him out, and it's just it's just how this game goes. You never know what's gonna happen
1: what do you watch when you're watching yourself specifically what is a reminder of you that you are or aren't in that zone that you're talking about physically
4: uh physically everything seems the same like physically it's just it, it legitimately it can be a little smirk like you know when you know when you go those smirks when you're like okay I know I got this like if I do that I, I'm locked in I know what I'm doing and then there's certain times where I'm like, okay, like this one, I'm, I'm being a little too jokey. I'm not able to lock it back in. I really need to focus. And that's when you'll see me you slap my back, like slap my back leg a little bit, trying to be like, okay, lock it in. Now we go. It's things like that. Or if it's, and you can see it in the way that the pitch just plays. It's nothing physical. I think it's purely mental. And that's, I think the biggest thing that is, uh, has been attributed to the last couple of years of what I've been able to do is purely based on the fact that my stuff has been relatively similar, but now I believe in it a lot more.
3: I want to go back to the uh, Detroit uh, rain night and kind of that whole sequence because uh, on our broadcast, I noticed that the home plate umpire seemed to ask you, are you okay? And you kind of gave him the, yeah, let's give it a shot. And then the first pitch you threw, it was very obvious that there's no reason to, to continue. Uh, you grabbed a new baseball and as you're getting the sign, it, it, you just you chucked it to the dugout. And it was obvious that we shouldn't have been continuing. But you're in that moment, right? You're in that that heightened uh, Liam Hendricks closer moment, and it looked like you were just trying to have a normal conversation with the umpire and then with, with Miguel Cabrera. But is it hard for you to have a conversation when you're in that heightened sense? Because it, it looked like you were trying to just be like, yeah, no, we're good, we're good. But, but there was an intense uh, uh, thing with it. So what was that moment like? And like, was, was Miggy yelling at you, or was he laughing with you? Because I couldn't tell.
4: No, I mean, there's uh, it, a good chance Mickey's laughing around. Um, but in saying that, the, yeah, the crew chief came up and was like, hey, look, let me know if, and if, um, if it gets too much or anything like that because <clears throat> we obviously know. I asked the home plate umpire, I was like, okay, what's, what are we doing? He's like, look, the ground screw guys told us it was a passing storm. It should be over soon. So we're just trying to get through it. I'm like, okay, let's, let's try it out. Let's, let's see how it goes. The biggest problem wasn't the actual rain. It wasn't the fact that it was raining. It wasn't the fact of anything like that it was the fact that every single ball I got was already drenched. So the, ball, the umpire put the ball, he got the balls from the ball bag, which is sitting in the rain. And then they, the ball, ball was trying to dry him up and then the umpire would put him directly into his bag, which has been in the rain the entire game. So every ball has like a, it's it's just like you dunked it in water and then tried to pick it up and throw it. And you mix that with the mud that they rub the ball up anyway. It just makes this, I mean, if I could throw a stick it would be great because I would've been able to go a lot of those, but um i'm not that talented so i couldn't do that but after and i try getting through it like the first pitch i threw yeah. like okay I, i've got no grip but let's just see how it goes and then uh, i get the second ball back and then the balls are just wet there's no it's not safe for me it's not safe for miguel it's not safe for anybody back there and this is something that like we can't just continue to do this and obviously i may or may not have thrown the ball in their dugout a little bit too firm i didn't realize it was that hard until i looked at the video later <laughs> the but worst really part was like
3: hey 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 sorry i i yeah, yeah i saw you're like hey, well, the worst, no, we're good
4: yeah. the worst part was is after the so after the rain out i came back out and they the the rosin bag the same rosin bag on the mound so i went to pick it up and it was rock hard and wet so i'm like okay so i flick it into their dugout and it went over the bat boy's head down their tunnel And I I look over and the coaching staff's like, what are you doing? I'm like, my bad. That was not meant to happen. I apologize. Like I I went over and actually said sorry, I said sorry to Chip Halo. I know from my time in Oakland after that. And it was that was a very emotional night.
1: (laughs) What were you like as an eight-year-old?
4: So I was that kid that was never wrong and never shut up. So pretty much the same thing now. Um, uh, but <laughs> now I can, I actually, I feel like I have some substance behind what I'm saying. Whereas an eight-year-old, it was like, my dad's this, my dad, that my mom knows this, my mom knows that like a typical eight-year-old snotty kid.
1: <laughs> so as you grew, like, how did this person, so take us from eight to now, like, what is the emotional journey of Liam Hendricks, especially as an athlete, were you always like this as an athlete?
4: uh not in baseball in baseball i used to be very stoic. um that was just the way i was i didn't really show too much emotion now when i played australian it was football yeah i was emotion because i wanted to make sure i wiped the floor with my opponent because i it was a legitimately i was a defender so i had this guy is my guy to get he will not touch the ball it's my job to make sure he doesn't get anywhere near it. i'm taking him completely out of this game and that was kind of the way i did it then it helped that i was able to control that because i my dad's a football scout now. He was the under—he was the assistant coach of the under eighteen state team, which is a big deal in and in, in Australian junior sports. And doing that, it was um, like I had the skill set because he just ground that into me as a kid. So I had the skill set, and then adding in that kind of animosity, adding in that drive to make sure that no one was ever going to touch the ball, specifically my opponent. That kind of drug that, and then um, when I went to the bullpen in 2015, it kind of it awoke it kind of awoke in me the uh, the need to kind of yell and scream and get emotional a little bit and that even then took me four to five years to really hone in and make sure I could use it uh, use it accordingly because there'd be times where I'd be too hyped up there'd be times where I wasn't hyped up enough and there'd be times where it was just it was just a bunch of eyewash because I was trying to make it make it work myself and I just didn't have that feeling behind it.
1: So you now know where the sweet spot is basically for you? Is that what I'm gathering in terms of emotion?
4: <laughs> uh, knock on wood, I, I found that little honeypot. But um, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it sticks around. But it's one of those things. That change, it changes, chops and changes. And certain situations demand a little bit more. And, like, I, and then the certain situations where I need to kind of drum it up a little bit more. But the whole uh, 60-game season with no fans last year really – really forced me to come to reckoning with the fact that I can create it myself. I don't necessarily need a crowd. I don't necessarily need to be um, either adulated or booed or anything like that. It's one of those things where it's, you can, uh, you can create it yourself. So I've gotten that, but uh, so far the crowd in in Chicago has been absolutely amazing. It's it's, the first time I ran in, I actually heard some cheers and it was actually, it was a little chilling because I'm like, don't get me wrong. Oakland fans are fantastic. They're great. They cheered them like no one else was around. It was fantastic. But Just it just hits a little bit different when uh when I run to the game here because it's a there's a little bit more there's a few more people running around now.
3: You talked about watching highlights. Uh, can you go back and watch a start from 2013 with the twins or would that kind of be like, (laughs) yeah, can't do that anymore because I'm not the same pitcher I was then?
4: Oh, no, I watch it to make sure I realize how different I am now. Like I was watching uh, so I faced Michael Brantley in 2013, so I was facing him and uh watching his when he was in cleveland i was in minnesota um i actually got our video guy brian johnson to pick out a to try and get a video of 2011 when i actually gave up a home run to Shelley duncan who was one of our coach on our coaching staff now so he was able to find that for me and we, we've had a couple good laughs at that but uh yeah i always look at it because at the end of the day like i still was able to either get a guy out or get a give up a hit on something and whether I throw that pitch now or not, there's something to it. And so I want the, either that, that confidence boost or that little stubborn streak of like, okay, even when I was throwing 90 and you got to hit off a fastball inside, now I'm going to make sure I get a fastball inside and I'm going to beat you with it.
3: Why do you throw harder now? I've heard you talk about it, but if you could explain it to our audience, what what, what unlocked the velocity for you? Um,
4: a lot of tears and anger, I think, but, uh, <laughs> uh, mainly it was, uh, I went, uh, so I got DFA in 2018 I was up and down like velocity wise of, over the spectrum. I was 90, 92 as a starter. Then I went to the bullpen in, in Toronto and, and started long tossing a little bit there with, uh, Mark Lowe, um, yeah, played with Seattle and Detroit and all those guys. And then, uh, was long tossing with him and my velocity started to increase. I didn't think anything of it. Next year I get to spring training. Spring training, the velocity's there. April velocity is gone. I'm back down to like 93 to 95, which is higher than I was at the start, but not where I ended up uh, 2015 at with 97, 98, and ended up getting hurt, had some issues, and they uh, we had both come to the agreement like, look, I'm throwing too much. Let's just let's just wane off it a little bit, and that way we can kind of it's the long term game, it's a long term kind of goal now rather than the short term success and. Um, it's, kind of, it's very similar to Major League where, uh, where um, Vaughn comes back the next year and he's like, working on a bunch of different pitches because he wanted to try to make a career out of it rather than just a flash in the pan of a couple seasons. Very much like that, but on a very, very lower spectrum. <laughs> but um, in 2018, I got DFA'd by the A's and went down to AAA and I said, screw it. If I'm going to go out of this game, I'm going to go out how I want to do it. I stopped working out. I stopped running and I started throwing, I started long tossing and throwing a lot more and for whatever reason in my eyes that has now built up to the fact where i'm building the muscles that i use when i pitch and i'm not kind of weighing myself down with muscles that are like big groups like your quads your hamstrings your your pecs your biceps triceps i'm not weighing myself down i'm actually going to get that free movement of the way i throw the ball and that uh that that's come down to a lot and then i just honestly as soon as i ditched the two seam everything started playing up i started throwing the two seam i stopped throwing the two seam. All of a sudden, my four-seam had a ride to it. My slider had more bite to it. I changed the grip on my curveball with uh, after talking over and over and over again with a guy called Danny Coulomb, who I played with in the big leagues and in AAA that year. Yeah. And he was one of those guys that, like, he had such a good curveball that I was picking his brain every day about how to, how, to try, like, how to try and throw it. And Now I need to try and figure out how to slow it down because it's a little too hard now.
1: How did you feel? Now. Nice. How did you feel the first day? when you went out and pitched without a sinker?
4: Uh, Well, I gave up a bases loaded hit to Andrelton Simmons when he was with the Angels on the sinker. I went two seam in, swung and miss, two seam in that he hit like, and it wasn't a a hard hit ball. It was just one of those things up the middle. And then um, I had actually started just using codify. So I'd use that like Michael Fisher, I've been doing that stuff. And you get your maps, and it's, it's dependent on pitch type. So it would go, mine would go four seam, slider, curve ball, two seam. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, four seam blue, curveball blue, sliders blue, four, uh, two seam, bright red. Maybe probably shouldn't throw that anymore. <laughs> so I went out there, and um, yeah, first time I threw it, it was just, it was, it was weird because I'd always been a four seam glove side, two seam arm side guy. No matter which, it was left handed it was a five, four seam in and a two seam away. Right is a two seam in, four seam away. It was just. That had always been part of my repertoire. Even when I was starting, I wasn't wasn't good at backdooring a two-seam. I didn't feel comfortable going away to a lefty with a four-seam. So that was just always what I'd been doing. So the first time, I don't think the first time I threw that, I really went in with a four-seam. The first time I went in with a four-seam, I think you you may be able to see there was like a three to four-mile-per-hour drop because I'm like very tentative getting it in there. But now it's just one of those things where it's second nature, and, and Yaz loves the good, uh, good, fastball inside the O'Reilly, which I've, uh, which I'm really embracing this year as well.
3: Are you your best pitching coach? Uh, I'm sure you you get a lot of good information from Ethan Katz and all the pitching coaches you've had, and uh, uh Kurt Hassler out in the bullpen, but in just talking to you here. It sounds like you know yourself better than anybody, and most pitchers would probably say that, but because of all the things you've been through to get to where you are, uh, how open are you to uh, suggestions at this point in your career, and uh, was it an issue earlier in your career in terms of really hearing messages that you maybe didn't want to hear at that time?
4: Yeah, I'm always open to suggestions, but don't get pissed off at me when I don't take them. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like, and that was one thing I learned the the hard way with Minnesota. So my first start I was actually against the White Sox. So I went seven innings, three runs, uh, a few strikeouts here and there. My actual first strikeout was AJ Puzenski. So I'm I'm going to need to talk to him about that one. Um, <laughs> but then my next bullpen session was like, okay, we see something we want you to change. And I'm 22 in the big league, so I'm like, okay, these guys have my like these guys know best. I'm going to do whatever it takes, and then all of a sudden it's it took me a while and i kept following their instruction i kept doing what they were doing and it just wasn't me and i had gotten to the big i I, need, I needed to remember i got to the big leagues based on what i was doing and this is how this is how i got there so let's not rock the boat let's not push the agenda too far because that's how bad things happen that's how you get into bad traits that's how you get into a like a bad rhythm and and it just it doesn't work well it just, very rarely does it ever work well and that was something that I was naive to the point of being as a 22 year old, um, just trying to follow along and do whatever. I was just trying to stay up, and yeah, it didn't work well. It didn't go well for me. I was pitching tentatively. I was scared of contact. I was, and I was always a contact guy. Like I was, my walk rates in the minor leagues were pretty good. My strikeout rates weren't very like weren't very impressive, but they did the, they did the job. But as soon as I got to the big leagues, it was like I was always in a 2-0 count. I was always in a 2-1 count. I, would, I never won the 1-1 pitch. I never was competitive in the zone enough. And that uh, that ended up turning around to bite me. But at the end of the day, it got me to where I am. And, and this is where it um, you go through the struggles to build your character. Like It's, it's uh, same thing with our injuries right now with the White Sox. It's you build character by the adversity that you face.
3: One last thing along these lines before we move on. When you see another pitcher on your staff, whether it's a bullpen guy or or whomever, and you're convinced you see something that you'd like to say to him, do you wait till you're asked? Do you say it in a way that is constructive? Or do you just worry about yourself? And if other guys want your opinion, you'll give it.
4: Um, I try to be suggestive. So I try, I don't, I, I want to let them know, but in saying that it's, we're athletes, we're stubborn, we're, we're arrogant, we we're, we just don't take well to people telling us, whoever it is, whether it's like, even if Lance or Dallas or someone of those guys like told me how to pitch, like I, I take it offensively because I, like, I feel like I know what I'm doing. But in saying that they can see a lot more than I can see while I'm on the mound. And it goes both ways. It's like, you try and be suggestive without telling someone that they're doing it wrong or that they're struggling in this regard. Um, you want them to kind of get to that conclusion on your own, on them by themselves, because that's where it really sinks in. Having that conclusion that you can build to yourself and be like, oh no, this is how I got it. You build that kind of mantra of being self-made almost. And you're able to kind of, it, it helps you weather the storm when something along the line, like something else happens down the road. And be I mean, it's happened a couple of times this year where it's, we've seen something and you're trying to let him know, but very like off kilter, just letting him letting him figure it out. But in saying that there's certain times where it's like, no, 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 you need to pull him aside and you need to have a conversation with him and be, look, this is what I see. This is what I've done in the past to fix. Or and and a lot of the time with the stuff we've got in this bullpen, it's not. It's not. It's very rarely physical. Very rarely is it physical. It's more of a mental thing where it's like you're just giving a hit of too much credit or you're just too worried about contact, or it's just, you get caught up in the little things rather than the big things, which I have gone through uh, every one of those things, where it will be physical, a lot of mental issues that I've had just on the mound with not trusting my stuff. And there's no one in Apple when they shouldn't trust their stuff. They're all disgusting.
1: What are the odds that in 2031, 10 years from now, Liam Hendricks is a 42 year old knuckleballer?
4: Uh, Well, the 2032 olympics looks like it's going to be in brisbane so there's a very good chance because there's a (laughs) that's all that that's my that's one of the things i've wanted to do as a kid i want to go to the olympics as an australian it's you don't you don't dream of world series you dream of australian world's grand finals and you dream of the olympics and that's that's what it is and so 2032 hopefully baseball's still around then and even if i'm like i don't want to go and just be the coach i want to be a player still so whether it be a knuckleballer whether it be whatever it is that's my goal of being ready for the 2032 olympics in brisbane
1: why does that matter so much to you
4: it's i think it's just a, like it's an Australian thing like we you grow up and australia's a very sporty country it's a very sport oriented nation whether it be cricket rugby Australian football uh netball basketball like we we're ranked sixth in the world in, in baseball right now. It's just we're, we're a country that just thrives on sports, and that's we everything stops for certain for events, and that's just how it goes. So it's uh, it's something that the Olympics is always such at the forefront throughout training. Like, I when I was um, 14, I got it, I got invited to the Institute of Sport in uh, Western Australia. It's called WACE, and it's for kind of developing and pushing forward the potential of olympic athletes and that's my baseball is still in the still in the olympics so i was working out and i'm working out with uh, javelin throwers and rowers and cyclists and swimmers and every one of the above i mean these are just some of the best athletes in the world we've got world record holds in this in this gym that i'm working out at and it's just one of those things as a 14 year old all you did was inspire to get to the olympics and, and get something get the get the Olympic rings tattooed somewhere on your body, because that's just rite of passage of the way it goes. But it's, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And, and when baseball got taken out of the Olympics, it, it really it really hurt me, but it's also something that it's in the middle of the baseball season, so I can't really go
1: anyway. So I'm imagining 14 year old Liam Hendricks around all of these people training for other sports asking the javelin person if he can throw the javelin and like were you that guy who was like oh can i learn your sport too
4: oh no i was an i i was a state-ranked javelin thrower like oh I, were uh, you yeah i did that a little bit that uh discus i had a little bit my my old man actually held a junior world record at the shop back in the day so he um we've got the track and field uh, kind of down pat but um, I had to stop javelin because I was doing javelin uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays and baseball Wednesday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and ended up having some elbow issues just because of the difference in throwing styles between day to day. So I had to stop javelin, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it was one of those things like, and by the way, the guy who was the javelin thrower, I can't remember his name. The guy who was the javelin thrower at the gym was maybe the single most athletic person I've ever seen in my life. Like, he's 6'4", like, absolutely shredded. It was a joke. Like, it was just unbelievable. And we'd always get in arguments with them about who had the be- uh, the most arm speed, whether it was javelin or baseball. Turns out it's softball, but i didn't handle that.
1: <laughs> I, I, love, I love how the sentence, I had javelin Tuesdays and Thursdays, hit my ear. That's not a sentence you hear that often.
4: No, so we did it in school. So I was at part of my track and field at high school, and that was what I did. I mean, it was... You run around, you straight arm, and you try and launch a spear. It was, it was. I had a lot of fun. That was all I wanted to do. It was just, I wanted to be involved in every sport in high school because that's what I did. Whether the only thing I didn't want to be in was cross country because I hated endurance running. No, I'm out on that.
1: All right. So, so, uh, what is cricket like to play?
4: Uh, so my high school, back to high school. My high school team. I play. I played cricket. I was the opening bowler. I got to bat once. And I, apparently, I, first time I hit a four, which is uh, you hit it over the boundary, like it runs into the fence. The second time, I had swung the bat before the bowler had released the ball because I got my baseball swing down pat at this point. And it was a, I was out pr- quite quickly. Um, but yeah, cricket, I love cricket. I love cricket. My, every time we go home, I take my wife to a big bash game, which is uh, the 20 over one, which is a bit more of a spectacle than, uh, than your average, like the, uh, the purists. But um, yeah, it's, it's, we have a blast. I love it. I go with a couple of my friends every time and we have a great time, but yeah, there's different, there's different variations. It's like the big batch is 20 overs, which is about three hours, which is um, same length as a, hopefully a baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, then you get the fifth, the one day internationals, which are 50 overs, which is 18 bats for 50 overs. And then you get the test matches, which go five days. And I love a good test match. I love going to those games because I have an absolute blast. But they're one that's very, very hard to get a non-Australian or non-cricket fan involved in.
1: Well, that's that's shocking to me that somebody wouldn't want to go for five days and watch a sporting event. How do how do tickets work for that?
4: Uh, it's a day, it's a day by day thing. So it's like you buy day one, day two, day three, day four, day and day five. So the but the the, the test matches are more strategic in there. You have to each team has to bat twice unless you're winning. So if the second team doesn't get out their second time, it's automatically a draw. Huh. So like they'll just end in a tie. If, like if you sort it, of, so like if you bat first, you score say like, let's just say f- five fifties right around the time where you usually declare and you say, Hey, look, we don't need to bat anymore. Let's send them out. Um, then they hit, if they don't score enough, you can send them back out. And if they last the, the full five days, yeah, it's a draw. It doesn't matter that you didn't get to hit twice or you were definitely going to win the game. It's just a draw. So it's a little bit more strategic in the timing.
1: You so it's be- an endurance sport? Am I gathering that it's an endurance sport, Liam?
4: Well, I can I can barely stand on my feet like for an inning while I'm pitching, and they're doing it for like four hours in a row. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you might be the biggest sports fan uh, we've ever uh, met in that you seem to like all sports. Is there a sport you – yeah. Yeah, so uh, you you picked the uh, he's got a Montreal Canadiens, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I did. And uh, you actually predicted that they would beat the uh, Maple Leafs in a series that everybody assumed the the Leafs were going to win. Uh, so tell us, tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I've been uh, I've been, I've been an underdog my entire career, been between coming from Minnesota when we were struggling to then going to Oakland and always being the uh, the Giants' little younger sister. Um, that's what we 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 always were. And it, it, it puts that chip on your shoulder. Now you come to the White Sox, it's it's a similar pattern, but uh we get a little bit more cloud on our side now. But um yeah, it's i it was one of those things where it's like I always bet on the underdog. Uh it's the Habs are uh they're never the on paper best team. They, until back in the nineties when that they, they actually were. But they haven't been the the on paper the best team, but they show the most heart. And that's what I put it down to. It's just uh and that, and plus once uh, once Montreal won game six, um, it, was, it was actually game five because they're up three games to one, game five. Then all of a sudden the uh, the Maple Leafs curse came in and they haven't won a series since '04, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And so then that curse came in and then uh, you take that with the, you, you grab the bull by its horns right there and then steer the curse straight into them. And we're able to get that, put a good series against the Jets out there. and uh, And yeah.
3: Playoff hockey is pretty special, isn't it? It's the one sport where the playoffs versus the regular season is just a completely different – Baseball's not not supposed to be, right? You're supposed to be the same guy in October or March or, or June, but hockey, there's no chance. Like you couldn't play like that all year in 82 games, right?
4: No, I mean you look at Carey Price. I mean he's um, – there's a reason every – like a lot of hockey players will call him – if they ever have an opportunity, like which goalie would you want in game seven of the uh, Stanley cup playoffs? He's damn near a unanimous choice. He may not have the best uh, regular season statistics. He may not have the best this, but you know that when it matters, he's going to show up and that's, uh, that's what it comes down to. And that's what that's what you want as a goalie. And that's what, uh, and that's what you want in a, in a reliever as well, because I, I, I'm actually setting this up with, uh, with our group. I'm actually getting janitor's outfits because um, the bullpen, we're just the janitors because we, uh, we clean up everybody else's.
1: So, so what are they going to look like?
4: Uh, pretty much like the janitor from Scrubs, if you remember that one, like the uh, the kind of blue shirt, blue pants with the little patch on the side. So hey, maybe we'll get some guys, maybe maybe uh, we'll give some guys a mop, some guys a broom, some guys some like spray in the wipes or something like that. Just to, just to mix it up a little bit. We'll, we'll figure this out for one of these flights.
1: Does Garrett get to keep his backpack?
4: Oh, Garrett's keeping that the entire season. I mean, the way he keeps pitching, he's going to keep that for his entire career if I have anything to do with
1: it. <laughs> What's in the backpack?
4: Uh, candy.
1: That, I, I, uh, I had heard that. What what kind of candy? And and who decides what? Like, do you reload? What's the deal?
4: So, I actually I actually do need to replenish it right now. Um, but it's uh, there's some. And I, I, we're, we're in Anaheim at the start of the year, and I sent the, one of the clubs, I'm like, okay, is there a Costco around? I need some full-size candy bars. So it's <laughs> Snickers, Twix, uh, Abba Zabba's, which I've never had before in my life, which actually aren't bad, uh, Skittles, Gummy Bears, Sour Patch Kids, Blow Pops, um, Hi-Chews. Uh, right now, we've been replacing it with like little bags of chips and stuff like that. Um, I found milk in there the other day, which is weird. Um <laughs> That, uh, that was a little odd. There was some cereal and some milk, which I ended up throwing out because I think it had been three days, and it was about 90 degrees in Chicago at the time, so I'm not – no, no one's doing that. <laughs> you really, you just need to find ways to stay entertained in a bullpen, and snacking and making fun of everybody is usually how it goes. All right. So,
3: yeah, let me ask you quickly about clubhouse chemistry and uh, just – how much you're around your teammates during the season. You're probably around your bullpen mates more than you are your wife uh, during the summer, right? So you've been in a bunch of them, um, and you've been the low guy on the totem pole. You've been the guy trying to stay in the big leagues. And now you come in as the the, the closer who uh, has a multi-year deal. So how does that work when you're getting to know your teammates and guys you've faced? Uh, how long does that process take where you feel like, you're trustworthy to them. They're trustworthy to you. You can just be yourself and not worry that someone's going to look at you sideways. What, what is that like coming to a new club? I think there was, was a
4: little bit of the intimidation factor coming in because I remember the way I was in the bullpen. You get a guy who's been around a while that, regardless of what their contract or anything like that is, they've been around a while. You're kind of a, a little wary at the start because you don't know how they're going to be. Like, you don't know how everything is. I guarantee you, nobody expected me to be like I am. Because I just I just mess around with everybody at all times. And that's why we need to keep it light. Like, I've played with bullpen guys that are very intense, very, like, need to be there. And I play with guys who are exactly, like, similar to me where it's intense on the mound and then you get them off the field and they're great. That's, uh, I was like Ryan Madsen. Ryan Matson was one of my favorite bullpen guys ever. Pitched in the big leagues forever. Took three years off because he has some arm injuries. Threw a bullpen because his uh, a team he was coaching said, hey, uh, if we do this, then you need to throw a bullpen. Through a bullpen was ninety seven. Signed a minor league deal with the Royals, and then won a World Series that year. Then signed a three year deal the next year. So, I've been around enough veterans to know that it doesn't matter who you are as a person as well as much as it is. Is you need to make sure that you're cohesive and, and just don't don't be an ass. Pretty much, it's a, it's not it's not hard to not to be a decent person in the bullpen. And that was one of the things we learned pretty quickly in spring training. We've got a bunch of different personalities out there that. Certain people need a little bit of a, a kick when they're running out in the game and certain people need to be kind of that positive reinforcement where it's uh, like, I've started with, with crochet specifically. It's like, I yell at him, say it with your chest every time he runs into the game. And that just made, that just is trying to get him involved in the fact that I don't care who's in the box. Garrett's better than everybody. Like it's not even close. Like the, 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 like he, he hasn't, he's barely given up a run, knock on wood. He's got great stuff. But when he truly believes in himself, he's unhittable. Like it's not it's it's not fair for a hitter when, when he believes in himself because he's what? 6'6 and throws up a nice. That that doesn't come around too often, especially out of a lefty and especially with socks like his.
1: Do you do impersonations of guys in the bullpen?
4: Uh just mechanics while playing catch. Uh that's about it. But if I tried Garrett, my hamstring would snap. So I I've tried to lay off him. I do a, I do a decent Evan Marshall and I do an okay Aaron Bummer from the right side, but that's really it. Um, yeah, it's, it's they make fun of my accent a lot, so there's that. They make fun of this this other thing, and then it's always, "Hey, sound American."
3: <laughs> Did they say that? <laughs> yeah, oh, give give uh, us your American accent. Uh, on, so was, I was
4: be American. On the, I was on the bus, and it was I said I said awareness. It was like oh, he has zero awareness, and they're like what did you say? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. He has zero awareness. So, it, <laughs> so that, that one got, Carlos uh, Rodon laughed a little bit at that one. And then, and then I just kept making fun of, okay, Lucas, let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so uh, who does the best Liam Hendricks impersonation?
4: Uh, Ryan Burr would with, like, without a doubt, it's not even close. He actually has a really good one, but he like he he has the um, the uh, the kind of asteriskness to him. The fact that he lived all over the world a little bit, so he's got a little bit of uh, worldly knowledge. Whereas um, some of the guys, just it just doesn't sound right. <laughs>
1: what what's what's the hallmark of your Evan Marshall physical impersonation? Like what's what's the micro impression that you? Do? It's
4: this one to the tap on the thigh to the hair and then the. <sighs> <laughs> And then the throw while actually going backwards. Like, it, it's just it, – he doesn't actually do it, but it's just the way that – because I'm a very big, like, drive forward and lean and leak and just throw myself at the plate where he's the exact opposite. And it works for him because he's able to get a bunch more leverage on his changeup and his curveball, which is fantastic. But, uh, yeah, I'll do that. And then the bummer's just to, like, swing my swing my glove hand out and then sling my other arm out and – throw a sinker that's at 98 that moves a foot and uh, this bullpen's ridiculous like it, it's unbelievable like i i get annoyed at the fact that the stats don't match up to the abilities that we've got in there and the underlying stats are actually decent they're actually pretty good but the physical stats that every fan sees they aren't great and of course that's as far as a deep dive as some of these trolls online will go
1: Liam uh, as you sit and watch a game in the bullpen if you are not in the game in the 8th inning you rarely will pitch the 8th inning but it's a close game how do you feel
4: um nervous and pacey. Uh, like i i'm all, i've talked to them like i'll be ready in the 8th i'll be ready in the whatever inning you need me for um, obviously I went through a bit of a tough stretch earlier in the year with uh, struggling a little bit at the start of the year and then pitching a lot in that middle, like May, June area. So I pitched a lot and it was tough to try and figure out times to get those multiple innings in there, like the, the four outs or anything like that, purely based on the fact that I wasn't really at 100% health wise. Like, not, I shouldn't say 100% health wise, but I wasn't really recovering as well as uh, if i would had a couple of days off because there was a there was a period where i was on the mound every other day yeah i didn't have two days off in a row for about seven or eight weeks it was just i was if even some of those games i was on the mound ready to go but that, that's the way i want it i want to be able to avail i want to be available i want to pitch as much as i can um but yeah it, it's tough in the eighth inning um when there's a couple guys on or anything like that and i feel like i can do it and i'm just pacing and i'm ready to go and i'm like it's, it's it's just not – it's not cohesive to the long-term goal, but it's something that I am kind of being prepared for. It's uh, You never want to give me a down day because I'm a mess. Like there was that doubleheader in Cleveland, um, and I didn't stop moving the entire two games because I was just pacing because I wasn't available at all that day. They told me no chance of anything, and I'm just wandering around the bullpen just pretty much knowing everybody inside because all I wanted – I was just fidgety. I'm fidgety. I don't know what to do. I I, I want to play, but I can't play. I don't know what I'm doing. That's the same way I get certain times in the eighth inning because I want to go out there. I want the ball. I want to go out. This is what I thrive for. I want to be able to go out there. And and if there's a couple runners on, I want to strand them because that's, that's, that's what I'm the most proud of in my career is the fact that I've been pretty good with inherited runners throughout my career. And that's something that I really, really show a lot of pride and take a lot of pride for because that's the one thing where it's like we pick each other up and that's how this bullpen works.
3: I know you, when you're on the mound, it doesn't matter who's in the box. You're, you're trying to dominate and you're trying to beat them. But are you close with any position players? And is there a guy in the league who you've either faced, a former teammate, or somebody you might have to face down the road where you just kind of want to get it over with because you respect and like the guys so much?
4: So there's very few guys that I don't trust my fastball against. Um, one of them is Willie Calhoun. Obviously you saw what he was able to do earlier in the year, uh, on a fastball that was above his eyes. Um, but he's been a pain and just a pain. Um, and some other guys like I've done, okay. Like, and look, I've, I have struggled immensely against Alex Bregman immensely. Like it's one of those things where I think the first time I got him out, he gave me a bruise on my shin. Cause I decided to deflect it with that. Like that's the, it's, it's just, I, I've struggled always against him. Um, and yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I, those at bats, I'm hoping they swing first pitch, go ahead, get it out of the way. Like, I know that generally like, you're not going to time up my first pitch fastball. Um, that's fine. Just get yeah, out. Like Austin Meadows a couple of weeks ago was the, with Tampa, like he dropped that on me and, uh, yeah, I ran into him in the tunnel after was like, I had to swing first pitch the only chance I got. So like those guys like that that are that are good hitters or specifically that little like the slap hitting lefties for whatever reason they're the guys I want to get at immediately because they're the guys that give me the fits because they keep fouling stuff off and then I throw a bad pitch and they hit a double in the gap. That's just it's it's just how it goes. So anyone with like is more of a slap. If I have a face Madrigal, I am really hoping he gets himself out first pitch because I don't want to have to deal with that.
3: <laughs> the Calhoun swing was one of the more incredible things I've ever seen. I don't know what you could have done differently. Uh, pitch selection.
4: That's just that. Because I got him out on that
3: pitch the okay. night before. Right. I'm still going to live and die with that
4: pitch because he swung through the pitch before. Uh, I just need to do a better location of, hey, look, if I go away, I need to make sure I get the next one in. Because then it's like you're not changing. Because the, the, the pitch before that was an up and away fastball that he swung through. And then the next one was an up and away fastball that was above the zone. But he was still set up for the up and away. And so that's one of those ones where I need to go either up and away, uh, I can't go up and away again. I need to either go breaking ball or I need to go fastball in so that if he's trying to get to that one, he cannot get to the inside fastball. And that's where that's the way you go with it. But um, that's all it all is. It's just pitch selection pitch location. It's, uh, and don't get me wrong. It, I would throw that pitch hands down 100 times out of 100 because he swung through the pitch before. I just need to be a little bit more cognizant of what I had done to him in the past, recent past. What he's done to me in the long term past, and then making sure that uh, that swing adjustment's there, but that's still a freak. That's still, a freak. I mean, I could throw that pitch there another ninety times, and he may get may may foul a couple off, not but not put that swing on it again.
3: Right, and that's nothing against minutes. him. It's
4: just that's just how how high that yeah. pitch was.
3: A couple more minutes here with Liam Hendricks, and we've been baseball heavy here, and uh, maybe Liam, we can do an off-season one where we promise we will not talk any baseball. <laughs> because I would love to do that with you. And I know Jason would too. Uh, I, my my last big baseball question for you as a closer, uh, and I talk about this all the time, and it's you and it's Aroldis Chapman and it's Craig Kimbrell. And it's, you give up the game tying home run. And the if you're at home, the ballpark's deflated. And then I always say on the air, the game is tied. The game is not over. So at that point, you're saving the tie And invariably, you have, I'm sure, multiple, if not dozens, of Major League wins where you blew the save and your team scored in the bottom of the inning. How difficult is that to learn as a pitcher that, oh, my gosh, I just gave up the game time. Oh, wait, we can still win the game. Because as fans, the game feels lost, right, at that moment. But it's not.
4: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know how I feel about you saying dozens of times I give up the lead.
3: Um Ding.
1: <laughs> wear it, Len. But
4: um Yes, two shots. To be honest, like to be honest, it's like one, it's not over. Two, at home specifically, you get a little selfish with it. Like, okay, crap. I've given up the lead. This could turn into a blowout, and there's no like safe, there's no savior coming. It's like I've I've got this one, I'm coming in. If I don't get out of this, they can put up a seven spot and I'm gonna be out here for a few of those. And so it's one of those ones. It's like on the on the road, it's like okay, well, I'm now I'm making sure that I don't give up the game. It's like legitimately, I'm back against the wall. If I give, if I blow a save it on the road, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, now it's not it's not a protecting any statistics or anything like that. It's now making sure we don't lose this half inning, and that's what happened in uh, Detroit a few weeks ago, where it was. Yeah, I gave up the game tying home to Cameron, and then I still had to get two outs. Like, it wasn't as if I was just free and clear or it was over and done with. I needed to make sure I still went out in there and competed and got us a chance to win. And then uh, luckily, we were able to pull out a run, and, and Bummer was able to shut it down. But it's one of those things, it's it's tough. Like, you get deflated, I get very pissed off at myself, um, as I'm sure you can most likely hear. Um and what do you? What do you mean, 60. Liam? Uh, I mean, i I, <laughs> I tend to quote. I tend to say my favorite position in football, which is the rock. Um I like ducks. There's um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of luck that goes into it, like yeah. stuff like this. But it's um, yeah, it's 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 extremely hard to like rein it back in, and then not just go out there and throw angry fastballs because angry fastballs that tend to be the ones that they may have higher velocity, but they tend to get hit a lot harder too.
3: And for the record, the if not dozens is just a broadcastery generic thing I would have said to anybody. It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. <laughs> so
1: I have a question that I think about literally every time I watch you pitch because it's great fun to watch you pitch. I think Sox fans love it. But my question sitting in my head is, how does he go to sleep at night? How does he shut it down?
4: Um, so I have a coffee after the game to relax. And then I fall asleep pretty well, which is, it, it pisses my wife off to no end. Because I can literally drink a coffee, go inside, brush my teeth, get into bed, and pass out within five minutes. It's just, it's that way. Like, I struggle a little bit on the road sometimes because I will drink like a pre-workout as I'm warming up in the mound. And then it's, you get back to the room and you, if you don't burn it off enough, if I, it's weird to say, but if I have a shorter inning... I tend to be up a little bit longer, where if I have a longer earning, I tend to be able to burn it all up and then trash when I get back to the room. So it's that. Um, but yeah, I, I sleep well. I, I'll turn on a TV show. So at home, we watch Criminal Minds and then we watch an episode of that every night. It's just whether it be 2 a.m., whatever it is, I always watch an episode of that because it calms me down a little bit. And then we turn on Bones and then I roll over to sleep, uh, go to sleep while watching Bones. And then on the road, it's uh, it's just me most of the time. And so if I'm with my wife, it's Criminal Minds. If I'm by myself, it's uh, Psych. Right now, it's either Psych or White Collar or um, oh, I forgot what was the other one. I just I just finished a different show, and it's just it's uh, Chuck. It's uh, Chuck. It's it's some of those shows that are easily easy to watch, but you don't need to catch every single detail. That you can kind of wind down to, and then I'll turn on one specific episode of Bones. And then roll over and go to sleep, and that's uh, that's kind of what I do.
1: So there's an episode of Bones that you watch over and over again to go to sleep.
4: Yep, every night. uh, So every night I have the same. Like my wife will uh, will put on. (laughs) There's been times where we put on the exact same episode for three weeks with her, and then all of a sudden she will like I couldn't go to sleep last night, so I watched four episodes, and now it's now we're five episodes ahead of where I was. Mine is a very specific one where it's the U.S.-Canadian border, and they find a bunch of feet, and it's a uh, cadaver farm that flooded, and yeah, so I can, uh, I'm, I... <laughs> I remember the little random things that nobody really should have to remember.
1: <laughs> How did it become that episode? Why is that the episode? Uh
4: no way so it starts off very dark it's two border patrol agents going along the border with flashlights and it's dark and then every time i get a, I get a little bit of a chuckle in because it's like oh the the older guy's taking the younger guy out the like, Oh, you need to watch where you're walking you're tripping over your own feet and then the guy's like that's not my own feet and then it's then i give it a giggle and then i go then all over ever sleep
3: <laughs> so good So good. no i love See, my murder mysteries like- i love all this stuff yeah this is Jason why we have to do another one with him where we don't talk any baseball,
1: right Well that I mean that is just like one specific I've never heard one specific episode I've heard like people going to sleep to a movie do you make it do you ever make it to the end of that episode? Oh God no no
4: not even close like uh there's very few times where I ever make it to an end of an episode even though I'm at home if I'm not tired or anything like that I just I have this innate ability to just kind of roll over. And when I roll over, I'm out within a good 10 minutes. It's very rare that I am fidgety or kind of mind wandering or anything like that. It's just, it's a, it's pretty quick thing for me.
1: So there are people who have like sleep disorders who are listening to this and they're going, that is unbelievable. I am so mad at him. He can go, no, he can go be that person on the mound. And then you just shut it down. That's like, that's mind-boggling to me.
4: Maybe, maybe that's the trick. Maybe it's because I'm getting so aggressive on the mound that it's physically draining. Mm. Maybe um, that may be something I look into once I'm done playing. It's like I, I need to start up like a pickleball league and just get really, really aggressive with the old fellows down in Florida, <laughs> and, uh, and see how that goes.
3: <laughs> All right, last quick one, Liam. Uh, we talked about 2032 Olympics. Uh, what what is 55 uh, year old Liam Hendricks doing with his life?
4: Oh, it's definitely not golf because there's usually better ways I can spend 5 hours a day. Um, to be honest, it will be I I'm, I'm assuming it would have something to do with either coaching or um, I I I really am I really want to go and do like a course once I'm retired, whether it be a just physical therapy, whether it be a business like a business management, something along those lines just to kind of remain busy and um like I, I am big into computers, so I love coding. I love all that sort of stuff. So maybe getting into something like that. Uh, but I don't stay. I don't sit still well. Uh, neither my wife or I do uh, do that very well. We're both fidgety. We both need to be doing something. And usually, about three weeks in the off season, she's asking when spring training starts again, so I can get out of the house. So there's going to be certain things. where I, I had, I actually had this conversation with Lance the other day, and it was there's two ways of me going in when I retire. I'm either going to balloon and be about 300 pounds or I am going to be way more athletic than I am right now because I'm just going to be at the gym the entire time. So it's uh, there's two ways of looking at it. But yeah, I 55-year-old Liam, hopefully got a couple young youngins running around and, and teaching them the game a little bit or teaching them hockey or figure skating or whatever they're into. And and we, we take it from there and, and see where it goes. I mean, we've, uh, it's, at the end of the day, I'm just right off in the sunset and hopefully you'll you'll never hear from me again but i'm just living my quiet life trying to get get by and stay busy
1: just building legos sitting and doing the legos
4: always always at the legos um i i have a couple of this the stadium in chicago that i actually need to ship because they're too big to be able to do in my locker so i can't do them there so then we're shipping them around and then i need to i need a specific room that the cats aren't allowed in so they don't mess with shit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: We talked to your wife beforehand and we'll wrap here, but uh, we asked her what we should ask you. And she was talking about just how much it matters to you to be a part of this specific team and this core and, and why the team concept matters to you. What is it about this team, Liam that you dive into so hard? This
4: is by far and away the, big, the,
1: best, the best team in just
4: making fun of everybody and doling it out and giving it and taking it. And there is – between coaches, trainers, it's constant with everybody. It's – like I mean, me and Tim Anderson have a lot – I have a back and forth that drives everybody else insane to the point where most of the time it's just guys will just sit around and listen to us just yelling at each other the entire time. And then it's, you've got guys like Lance, who you look at him on the mound, and he is a grizzly bear of just adrenaline and anger. And then off the field, he's this big cuddly teddy bear, like the Coca-Cola, like the Coca-Cola um polar bear guys. And so it's like, it's, just a, it's such a difference in personalities, but it meshes so well between the uh, the different ethnicities we've got in the clubhouse, the different kind of uh, races. We've got such a different, a varying differential of like, Personalities, it's a it's a variable hot pot in there. And it's just it's such a cool vibe, the fact that everybody gets along well. Nobody gets pissed off at each other. It's it's one of those things where it's um yeah, we just yell at each other and then someone yells back and then it's it, it turns on to the next thing. You can have in-depth conversations with guys that will never leave that conversation. Like I have differing views on a lot of things and a lot of other people in the clubhouse. So we can have a view on things that will never linger into the next conversation, and that's just that's very rare to find throughout an entire clubhouse. And it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and I give everybody some time off for me by doing my Legos and not coming out into the fourth inning. So it, <laughs> it solves everything. You
3: know, it's, it's, a great, it's a great sport in general. And I think I, uh, <clears throat> I, think I brought it up the other day, a uh, pitcher from Australia facing uh, a hitter from South Korea with a uh, catcher from Cuba. Pit, and it's happening in Chicago. Right? Yeah, you I mean, should probably do great. it
4: on the one that gave up, I give up a hit to.
3: Oh, was it Choi? Okay, I stepped in it again. <laughs>
1: well, so we'll, how about this? We'll end on this. You just the other day became the all time leader in strikeouts for an Australian born pitcher. Uh, really? You passed nice. Grant Balfour.
4: So, so that was being 536.
1: I thought it was 72. Let me look.
4: 72. I know I got
1: 572.
4: So I know I got 500 last year. Cause that was Carlos Correa, which I remember that one. Well, and then, um, yeah, I was looking, I was actually, I was looking at, uh, I was looking at Kimbrel's stats a couple of weeks ago and it was like, I've got the similar amount of innings. He's got a career 2.1 era. Right? I've got a career like 3.9 at this point. Um, I've about 500 something innings. I've got, just, a, just under 600 strikeouts and he's at 972. Um, and it's crazy. We're both kind of doing our thing in Chicago as part of, uh, division leading teams kind of deal. So it's uh, it's, it's an interesting like concept of the way that it's, we're both to like go roundabout way. And he's, uh, he's now what tied or ahead like 10th in all time saves, which is something unbelievable. And I wish nothing for the best because he's just a good person. It's a good person, good family, um, and it's yeah. Hopefully, we, we can connect at some point when we play each other and uh, get a couple snaps for the the uh, the, the, the Chicago closes and then see how that goes.
3: Liam, thanks so much for your time. We uh, again really appreciate it and uh, keep doing what you're doing. So much fun to watch.
4: I right, appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me and thanks for having my wife as well.